welcome to C2 again, guys. And my name is Jason Rentery. I am the worship leader here at C2. And really glad that I could come forward today and, and share my story with you and, and just share God's word with each and every one of you. We're, we're really glad you could be here. So let's dive right in. Uh, you know, the video there talked about how we pray for our men and women who are overseas, and we pray for our missionaries. You know, constantly as, as Christians, we're in prayer every single day, hopefully anyway. Um, prayer is a way of us to, to speak and contact God that is unlike any other. He speaks to us through prayer. We speak to Him, you know, whether it be a need or whether we just need to hear His voice. Prayer is a very powerful thing. And so... This morning, that was, uh, that's kind of the basis of my, uh, of my message is, is around prayer and, and fasting as well. And so we'll just start off, you know, the, the first thing that I just wanted to kind of to challenge each and every one of us with was, you know, what are we praying for and why? And Scripture, uh, scripture teaches us that, that why, why do we pray and fast? And, and a quote that really inspired this message for me was one that we had on a video some of you may remember from a few weeks back. Um, we had a video that, that I had played on a Sunday morning that had several quotes about prayer and, you know, why we pray together and that stuff. And one of the quotes on there was from Oswald Chambers, and he says, The meaning of prayer is that we get hold of God, not the answers. And that's so important to remember, that when we pray, yes, we are praying for or about something, but that's not the purpose behind our prayer. We're asking God for something, but what we're really praying about and the reason that we're there is to ask God to put His will in that place, whatever God's will is. It teaches us in Scripture in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now it came to pass, as He was praying in a certain place, when He ceased, that one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught His disciples. So He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Many of us here know that prayer is the Lord's Prayer. It's mentioned a few times in the Bible. But an important passage out of that prayer specifically that I just wanted to touch on was where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the purpose of prayer. The true purpose is to ask for God's will. It's not about what we want. We do have a need when we go to God, but it's about His will being done. And so that's what I wanted to just kind of challenge us all with this morning is that we look for His will. And sometimes when we pray, we have that purpose behind it, and we're expecting God to answer that prayer with exactly what we've gone to Him for. And there are times that God answers our prayer exactly how we prayed it. Then there are other times that maybe the outcome doesn't come to what we, what we hoped for. But that's God's will. Whatever it is that may come out of your circumstance, it's God's will that's being done. And there's never a time when you pray and ask for God to be in that place with you and for His will. There's never a time that He's going to do anything that you're not going to be able to handle because He's going to be there to lift you up and to support you. And another quote that I, that I happened to find uh, was by a pastor named John Hagee that said, God will either give you what you ask for, or he will give you strength to deal with what he wants. And so no matter what the outcome of your prayer may be, you know, whether it's exactly what you expected, 
or if it's something different, understand that it's God's will that's being done in that moment because that's what you've prayed for him to do. In Scripture, again, Paul tells us since 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but the trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Again, right there in Scripture, God is there. He will give you what you need to go through whatever trial you may be facing, whatever you may be praying for, whatever the outcome. God is there, and he provides what we need. Along with prayer, a lot of times we fast, and many of us know exactly what fasting is, and there's some, there may be some of us that are new believers or have never studied fasting and don't understand exactly what fasting may be. And fasting is simply this. What you're doing is you're giving up something, whether it be food, whether it be something daily in your life that you do, you're giving something over to God. You're, you're releasing something from what you think you physically or you know, whatever the case may be, what you think you need. You give that up so that you can depend on God more, that you depend on His strength. And you know, just one thing that I had pulled uh, that I just wanted to kind of touch base on is that you know, it says fasting is not a hunger strike. You know, a hunger strike is a method of nonviolent resistance or pressure to which participants fast in an act of political protest or to provoke feelings or guilt in others, usually with the objective to achieve specific goals such as policy change. Most, hung, most hunger strikers will take liquids or not solid foods. Well, hunger strike is not the same as a fast. When we fast, it's not that we show other people we're suffering through something. When we fast, that is something that we do that God knows what our weakness is. He knows where we may be weak, what we've given up. But it's not something that we broadcast to others or do so that others would be, you know, so that others wouldn't think highly of us because, you know, here we are giving up something and God's providing for us. It's between you and God personally whenever you fast. And, uh, you know, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18, that, that exact thing. It says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and they may appear to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So that's an important thing to remember is when we fast is not to publicly display it. People may know you're fasting, but if you put on a sad face and you act all mopey, you know, oh, I've given up food and and these kind of things, that's not the purpose behind the fast. The purpose is that we give up something so that we can become stronger spiritually with God. And so this kind of leads me into a a place where I want to just share my story of, of my daughter Issa with you guys. And some of you may know Issa, some of you may not. Um, beautiful little girl. Uh, she's always running around here. If, if you see a little girl with dark hair that looks just like me, but, you know, half my size, that's Issa. <laughs> um, Issa was born four years ago on Mother's Day, uh, 2009. Beautiful little girl born to my wife and I, Sarah. Um, we couldn't have been prouder to have her. She was the first infant that I had ever held in my lifetime. I had never held any of my nieces or nephews. I was scared to death of holding children. My thought in my head was always, I'm going to drop this baby, and they're never going to speak to me again, you know. 
And so, you know, nervously, when the doctor handed me Issa for the first time, I looked at her, I grabbed her, and it was the most natural thing I've ever felt in my life was to hold that baby girl. So just like any other family, you know, we stayed at the hospital for a couple of days, and then we brought Issa home. She was doing fantastic. The second day we had her home, we started to experience a, a few difficulties of getting her to eat. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't feeding really well. She, uh, you know, we tried formula, we tried milk, we tried colostrum, we, we tried everything that we could think of to try and get Issa to take something. She really struggled with it. We got her to take a little bit here and there, but we had a lot of problems. And the next day, the third day, um, we went to the doctor's office for our, our visit after we'd come home from the hospital. And uh, the doctor, you know, mentioned to us that she seemed a little lethargic, which we knew. She had, she had seemed, you know, pretty lethargic around the house, and, you know, that was one of the reasons that, you know, we wanted the doctor to take a, a more in-depth look at her. And it also had appeared to us that her jaundice level had come up. She was very much more yellow than what, in color than what she should have been. So the doctor was, you know, had her on the, uh, the table examining her, and, and all of a sudden, Issa just kind of started seizing. We couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, the doctor was unsure of what was happening. And, and before we knew it, she started having trouble breathing. And <clears throat> our doctor's office just happened to, uh, they happened to move to a temporary location shortly before Issa was born because they were building a new location. And uh, I truly believe that, you know, um, like the song that we did last week where, where we were singing about, you know, God is already there. God was already in this place Amen. before we ever got there, before we ever set foot in that door, before Issa was ever born. He had already been there. It was his past. He knew we were coming. And he had planned it out that it would just so happen that our doctor, when they made their temporary move, would move directly next door to a respiratory clinic. And because that respiratory clinic was there, they were able to immediately bring over equipment to start helping Issa breathe. And so they stabilized her. They called, uh, they called emergency 911, and the ambulance came. And we watched them load our little girl up in the ambulance and take her to the... Uh, to the pediatric ICU over at university. We got there and, you know, the doctors immediately started working on her and trying to figure out what was going on. And the whole time, Issa continued to, to have seizures. She was having trouble breathing, and, and we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And as they were running tests and stuff, they found out that, you know, uh, she was dehydrated and... Uh, she did, all of her levels had dropped really bad, and so they were immediately, you know, trying to get IVs in her, trying to rehydrate her and, and stabilize her. And they got her, they got her stabilized. They gave her some medicine for the seizures, and, and they, got her, uh, they got her, you know, kind of going on her own a little bit. But then we, uh, they started running several tests to, to try and figure out what was going on. And this whole time, um, Issa continued to have trouble breathing on her own. She'd be breathing naturally, and, you know, we'd be sitting there in the room with her, and before we know it, they had this machine hooked up to her that told us what her breathing levels were. And uh, so we knew what numbers to watch, and when that number would start dropping, we knew she, was, she had stopped breathing. And so there were several times that she would have what they called apnea, which is basically where she would stop breathing on her own for a period of time, 
but she wouldn't start again like several people will have apnea and they'll stop just for a short period of time and then immediately start back up again. But Issa wasn't coming back on her own. So the doctors would, you know, the nurses and doctors would rush in and they'd have one of those little handheld pumps that they would put over her and and pump air into her lungs and get her to start breathing again. And this went on for several days. Um, We took her in on a, uh, we took her in on a Wednesday and, uh, we went through Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Friday. They, you know, they, they were battling this the whole time. Couldn't figure out what, what exactly was going on and why she was still struggling through this. And I just kind of had it, you know, God just kind of spoke to me and laid it on my heart that uh, Thursday had come around and they still hadn't figured out what was going on, you know, running all these tests, trying to see exactly what was going on with our little girl. And so... Thursday rolls around, and, and, you know, I had literally just been saved and become a new believer a month before that. I had actually been baptized right here in this church and was very, very new to my belief. And so I didn't know, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home, but I never really took hold to, to the Word, and, and, and I knew who God was and who Jesus was, and I believed in it, and I knew that, you know, Jesus had made a sacrifice for us, but I'd never truly committed my life to God. And so, um, you know, I didn't know a lot of scriptures, and I didn't know a lot about what fasting was other than what, you know, I'd just temporarily heard what people had, you know, told me and, and uh, just knew a little bit about it. But I looked at Sarah, and I told her uh, Thursday night, I said, you know, I said, I don't know why, but I feel like we've been praying and we've been asking, you know, for God to give us an answer to what's going on. And I said, I feel like I need to fast. I feel like I need to give up from myself so that God can come into this place and God can give Issa what she needs and give us answers. And so I decided that I was going to fast both my sleep and food. I decided not to eat or sleep until we knew exactly what was going on with Issa. And this brings me to my next point that, you know, when we go into a fast that... um, we weaken ourselves, and we, uh, we give up something so that we can be stronger spiritually with God. But this is a time when, you know, on the outside, we're hungry, we're t- you know, I was tired. Whatever we may be fasting, you know, we're, we're sacrificing, and, and we may be weak and struggling with whatever it is, but God's providing. But during that time, that's when Satan thinks that we're at our weakest, and he'll try to attack. You know, he'll come at us with everything he's got. He may deliver some of the worst stuff that you could possibly think of during your fast, you know, you may be hit with something you never expected because he thinks that you're weak. But again, God's there and he's providing. And even in, even in Scripture, Jesus himself was tempted by Satan whenever he was fasting. It says in Matthew 4 that when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So here's Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He hasn't eaten anything. He's hungry. And I'm sure, you know, he he, he was human. You know, I'm sure he was starving, you know, just famished beyond belief. And here comes Satan thinking, okay, here's the Son of God. He is weak. He's got nothing left. I can go in here, tell him to make these stones into bread, and he's going to crumble. That's not what happens. Those of you that know the story, 
know that Jesus says to Satan, man does not live on bread alone. Our true need in life is God. He is what we rely on. He is what we stand upon. The physical things of this world, there are some things that we, we have to have to get through, but our true need and the thing that we need to get by is God himself. And again, you know, talking about how we become physically weak whenever, you know, physically, mentally weak whenever we fast sometimes. It's kind of similar when, uh, those of you that may know MMA or boxing, uh, Muhammad Ali years ago, when he was a fighter, did what he used to call rope-a-dope. And what it basically was, for those of you that don't know, is he would stand up against the ropes or in a corner, and he'd bring his arms up, and he'd let his opponent come in and just pound on him, hitting him with everything he's got. And he'd stand there and he'd take it. You know, he'd come out every once in a while just to get out of that corner so he wasn't constantly taking a beating. But he'd let his opponent come in and hit him with everything he's got from every direction. But what his opponent didn't realize was while Ali was standing here covered up, not really getting hit with anything solid, he's reserving his strength. He's building his strength so that when his opponent wears himself down, here comes Ali right off the ropes, fully charged, not tired at all, and taking down his opponent. And that's the same way God does through us whenever we're in a moment of fast or prayers. You know, we may look weak to, to Satan, We've never been stronger because God is with us. And so, continuing in Issa's story, here I was, you know, Thursday night, I start this fast. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to eat until we find out what's going on with Issa. And again, you know, being a new believer, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't well-versed in the Bible. I didn't know a whole lot of scriptures by memory or you know, where to locate what I was looking for, you know, what God was trying to say to me. I didn't know where to turn in the Bible specifically to find scriptures that would inspire me to continue with this fast and would keep me strong. But I opened up the Bible. I just opened it right up. And the very first verse in scripture I came through is one that I still hold strong with today. And it's Isaiah 41.10. And it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will, up, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And I knew that's what God was telling me. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Continue with what you're doing. I've set this task in front of you. Do it knowing that I'm strong with you and that I'm upholding you with my righteous hand. So I continued my fast. And... I went through Thursday night reading several different scriptures. Again, I would just turn several pages at a time and see where it brought me. Time and time again, God led me to specific scriptures that I needed to hear that kept me strong in what we were going through. So Friday morning, they come in and they take Isa, and they're going to take her down to MRI. To, to do a scan of her brain and see what was going on, try to see if they could figure out why she was, you know, why she had had these seizures. She had been seizure-free. We were thankful for that, but they still couldn't figure out why she was having the seizures. And she was still having trouble breathing. They had put her on a respirator, but they took her down to the MRI, and uh, they brought her back. And then several hours later, they, uh, they had the results. You know, they did a, a rush on the, uh, on the test and, and got the results back. 
So Sarah and I are sitting there in the room, and the lead ICU physician and uh, the neurologist walked in. And immediately we could see it on their face. The news they had wasn't good. We knew it was we knew it was not good at all. If you've ever been in a situation where a doctor delivers bad news to you, you can tell before they even say anything. They come in and the look on their face, the way they're carrying themselves, they've found something that that's not good. And so the neurologist tells us that uh, what they found out was that Issa had had a stroke. That she had had severe damage to a laurel, lower portion of her brain called the occipital lobe. Now I had just, my family had recently before that dealt with a stroke in, in, in our family and we had lost my grandmother to, uh, to a stroke. She had had a severe stroke and, and didn't make it. So I, I knew a little bit about, you know, what a stroke entailed and, and uh, what... Uh, what kind of to expect, what they would tell us. And, of course, they did. They told us, you know, the next three days are, are the most critical. We have to watch her to see if, uh, to see if she has any swelling of the brain and, uh, and just monitor and see what's going on. And so you know, here we were. I'm in the middle of this fast and, and praying to God, and, and uh, Satan comes and attacks he decides to try and, and, and knock us down with this news that our little girl's had a stroke and the doctors don't expect her to make it out of the hospital. Don't really even give her a chance. So Sarah and I were devastated. I mean, we were, we were naturally just, I mean, blown away by this news. And uh, <clears throat> so we're, we're in the room and, and the doctors leave. And Sarah went out to make a couple of phone calls to, to call and tell her parents and, and some of our other family members what, what the diagnosis was. And I remember, I'm standing there in the room by myself. <clears throat> Thank you, Willie. I'm looking at this beautiful baby girl, and, uh, and I just all of a sudden, just me, and Issa in the room. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this presence. And I mean, it's heavier than anything I've ever felt in my life. And it literally brought me straight to my knees. And I literally felt God put his hand on my shoulder. Right on my left shoulder, I specifically remember feeling his hand touch my shoulder. And he whispered into my ear, Look at that girl. She's beautiful. She's your baby. But don't be dismayed because you're going to take her home. God specifically told me in that moment that we would be taking our baby home. And I remember I've never felt anything like that. And I came up from there renewed, refreshed, knowing that, once again, I've relied on God this whole time, and he's, he's going to provide what we need. God was in that place, and I knew that he had put a shield around that room and that there was no way that Satan would ever get in that room or do anything else to my daughter. And so I was elated 
excited about the fact that, you know, we're going to get through this. God's already told me we're going to get through this. And so, you know, here we are experiencing what we're going through, and there's so much power in prayer and fasting. There's, it just brings so much that, uh, because God is there and, and he's strong within us. And an example of scripture through uh, what the power of prayer and fasting can do, uh, <clears throat> a lot of us know the story of, of Jesus when he goes up on the mountaintop with the three disciples and, and they, they see him standing there and, and all of a sudden this bright light appears and, and next to Jesus appear Moses and Elijah. And... When, when they're finished praying and, and they come back down from the mountain, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people. And they bring forward a man that is demon-possessed, and the crowd and the disciples both explain to him. They've been trying to cast out this demon the whole time Jesus was gone. They've done everything they could think of. You know, here are the disciples who have cast out many, many demons before, but for whatever reason, they couldn't figure out why now, in this moment, why can't we get this demon to come out of this man? And so Jesus casts the demon out of the man. He does so, and his disciples turn to him. And they, they don't understand. They ask him. They said, Teacher, why is it that you know, we've been able to cast out demons in the past, but for whatever reason, this specific demon won't come out of this man? We couldn't get him out. And Jesus explains to him in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. There are some demons in this world that are so strong that only by surrendering ourselves completely to God and praying and giving up the physical nature of things that we think we need, only by giving those things up and fasting and praying with God can those demons be defeated. And so again... Here we are, we found out Issa's had this massive stroke, and they're not giving her much of a chance. We went through all day Friday, and I told Sarah, you know, orig- originally my plan was to, to fast until we found out what was going on with Issa. But once we found out, I still felt it on my heart that God wanted me to continue to fast, and so I did. I didn't sleep all day Friday, didn't sleep that night. Saturday morning rolled around, and they had been planning to to put a uh, what they called a central line IV on Issa, because with infants, it's very hard for them to find the veins to be able to put in an actual, you know, just a regular IV. And, and Issa had several in her. She had one in her foot, one in her arm, and she even had one up here in her head. And so they were, you know, giving her different medicines and feeding her through all these different IVs and. They wanted to put in a more permanent IV, what they called a central line IV, which was going to go right here just on the right side of her chest, just below the shoulder. So they came in Saturday morning. They had prepped. They had prepared. And, of course, like I said, she was on a a ventilator, you know, that was was breathing for her. And uh, they had to come in, and they had to run an X-ray to uh, find out where the tube was so that they could pull it out correctly and make sure that they didn't damage vocal cords or her throat or anything like that. So they came in to do the x-ray. And 
I'll never forget, they, they had Sarah and I go out of the room. Of course, we're outside, you know, waiting for, for them to take this x-ray so that they can, they can remove the tube and do everything. And a little longer goes by than what we expected. And next thing we know, here come the doctors out of the room, and they all look, look stunned. Like, they're, they're just dumbfounded by, by what they've seen. We don't know what it is that they found out, but... They just kind of look confused and, and don't know what to do. And the doctor came over to us and he says, well, he said, I've got good news. I don't, he said, I'm, I'm amazed by it. He said, somehow the ventilator, the tube in it, had moved out of her lungs. She had been breathing on her own for a full 24 hours before that. And so, I mean, we were... We were just elated. We had, we had no idea. We, we couldn't figure it out, you know. But I looked at Sarah and I said, only by the grace and the power of God. Yeah. That is exactly. That, that was God working. That was only through him. Now, kind of wrap up my story. I want to invite the band back up to, to come and, and lead us in our last song of worship. But. Since then, you know, even after that, the doctors continued to doubt what Issa would be able to do. Um, they told us that because of the damage to the brain that she had suffered, that at the very best, she would be blind, have many physical disabilities. You know, she'd probably have trouble speaking. She'd never be like a normal child, never. She'd never be able to function and do all the things that a normal child does. And we refused to believe it. We had already seen miracles, you know, performed all through the time that we had been there. And uh, the doctors expected her to stay for several more weeks to have to, you know, recover before she'd be able to go home. And uh, a week later, tomorrow will mark four years to the day. Memorial Day 2009, Issa came home. We've since learned that the stroke she had wasn't a typical stroke. It wasn't something where she had a blood clot that had moved into the brain like the doctors originally thought. She'd ended up with tissue damage to the brain and lost most of the tissue in what they call the occipital lobe. And so they still expected her to not be able to see very well. But I can tell you right now, if you see my little girl... At four years of age, she can run and play like any other kid out there. She runs through these halls every day during the week. If you've ever seen her, she plays, she sings, she speaks just normally. Matter of fact, she'll correct you most of the time if you say something wrong. She loves her ABCs and loves to show it off that she can say them. She's a beautiful little girl, and she is definitely our family's miracle. She's God's little miracle child. And so I want to encourage, I want to encourage each and every one of you, when we pray and we ask for God's will, know that His will is going to be done. It may not come out exactly how we expect to see it, but it's going to come. God's there. He's already been there. He's, he's always going to be there. No matter where we go, no matter what life leads us through, God already knows where we're going. He's already seen that path.
So just know that he's there and know that you can rely on him. Just want to challenge each and every one of us to remember that when we pray, ask for God's will.